Well, hey there, everyone. Uh, welcome out to Grace. And uh, if you're tuning in online or you're watching over at Montrose, thanks for uh, being together that way. Uh, just wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page. Last week, uh, we announced uh, that our family uh, is going to be moving to Columbus uh, to plant a church. And so if uh, you missed last week, I encourage you to check out uh, the video that me and my wife, Sarah, uh, shot with Pastor Jeff, and we kind of uh, shared our hearts a little bit with that and announced that transition. But uh, there's a lot behind it, and it's all, like, good. Uh, God just calling us to uh, a church planning opportunity down there. And uh, we've been here at Grace for eight years and just uh, have absolutely loved that time and uh, the, the family that Grace has become to us. And so it's uh, really difficult to leave. Um, but would love to, like, share more about that. But uh, this weekend, uh, we're here to talk about this series that we're in. And so uh, if you want to chat with me about that later, would love to. Um, and especially if we've uh, never met before, my name is Josh, and uh, I would love to, to talk with you. Maybe you know people in Columbus, or you came from there, and I would greatly benefit from that knowledge. Um, we've been in this series called Spiritual Questions We All Ask. And so we've been in this for a couple weeks, and there have been uh, some big questions that we have taken on together. And so the first week we talked about like what salvation is and kind of the nuances of faith and, and uh, different ways that that gets kicked around a little bit and uh, what the Bible teaches about what Jesus claimed. And then also uh, the next week we talked about hell, which is a fun topic. Um, and how can a loving God send people to hell? And so uh, Pastor Jeff spent that week answering that question. Uh, and then last week Pastor Joe was sharing a little bit about how can we know God is good? when uh, life isn't always good. And so these have been big questions. Maybe these are questions you've asked or you've wanted to ask and been afraid to. And I would encourage you to check those all out uh, online or on the podcast or on the app and uh, uh, engage that conversation. And this week is also going to be a fun one. And what we're going to talk about this week, the question we're going to try to answer is this one. It says, what's wrong with religion? <laughs> Which is an ironic question for a pastor to ask <laughs> at a church. What's wrong with religion? And we're going to dive into this a little bit today. And for most of us in the room, uh, this may not be something that we probably ask that way or maybe a thought that pops into our head because maybe you view yourself as religious or at least maybe you would say spiritual. Like you're here at a church service, you're tuning in online. Um, and so this maybe isn't as pressing of, as a question. You know, uh, when you survey religious people across the entire world, uh, first of all, did you know there are 4,200 religions. Yeah, you have a lot of options. Just kidding. No, uh, 4,200 religions, about 76% of the world falls into five of them. Uh, kind of the, the big five, Christianity, Islam, uh, Buddhism, uh, Hindu, and Judaism. And so like those are the big five. That's like 76% of the world. So the other 4,195 are like 8%. And then there's uh, about 16% of our world that is uh, non-religious. They're secular, they're atheist, they're agnostic, um, no religion. And so uh, that's actually probably the group of people who ask this question a lot. <laughs> or maybe they have answers to it, and maybe they've shared them with you as someone who is spiritual, someone who's religious. And uh, I, I have friends like this, friends who uh, wouldn't ascribe to any faith, maybe identify as agnostic. And um, it's amazing that uh, actually that's an increasing group of people kind of, especially in the United States. Uh, about 15 years ago, only about 15% of, of Americans would have identified as non-religious or secular, atheist, or agnostic. It's about twice as many today. About three out of 10 people uh, fall into this category of non-religious. They even like uh, 
statisticians have been calling this group the nuns, not Catholic nuns, like N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Like they, they don't ascribe to anything. And sometimes that's because uh, truly there's a disbelief in God. And sometimes it's just walking away from a certain label and brand of faith. And so something's going on kind of in our world and in our culture that uh, there is a huge pushback against religion. I think there's actually some valid reason for that, and and we're going to try to unpack this a little bit today. But I just want to kind of tip my hat a little bit and let you know a couple of things today that are not my goals. Okay, first of all, it is uh, not my goal to try to justify or explain uh, everything that has been done wrong in the name of religion. Okay, like, it's, it's there, you Google it, there's horrific things that have happened. It's not even just Christianity. There have been horrible things that have been done in the name of religion, and there, and there still are. We're not gonna try to, like, explain that stuff away. It's there. Um, I also want you to know that one of my goals is not to get you to agree 100% with my religion or for you to become uh, this uh, radical grace churchgoer. I mean, in a month, I'm not even gonna be here. So you can trust me. I have like no uh, ill intention of, of that kind of bend. I truly hope what we can do today, like my goal would be to introduce you to who Jesus really is. That, that you would see he's actually different from probably what you would expect when you think of religion. And that if you could see that clearly, that it'd actually compel you like there'd be something like attractive about it. That would be like what I'm hoping happens this weekend. And um, to see just that it's, it, he's different. Especially if you fall into that category of the nun, like you don't wanna brand, attach onto one certain brand or label or, or even you fall into that category of saying, hey, I, I'm, I would ascribe to being agnostic or um, an atheist. Um, I know that probably everything I say won't uh, satisfy all your questions, but I kinda wanna look at a, an instance in the Bible where the early followers of Jesus, there was this guy named Paul, and uh, he, he went to Athens in Greece, and it, it, you know Athens was filled with all these philosophers, people who didn't necessarily ascribe to any one thing, but they had um, kind of shrines set up for every god. Like they, they were like collecting them, you know, and they were like, we're gonna debate all of this. And they, they would talk all day, these philosophers, these, these Stoics and these Epicureans, and they would debate beliefs, values, what's truth and, and philosophy and reason. And um, one of the earlier followers of Jesus, Paul, he went to interact with them and tell them about Jesus. And this is what he found interesting. He, uh, he went and he spoke with them and he says this. He says, men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way which feels uh, like a four-letter word to someone who's agnostic or atheist, but they would have been like, yeah, we actually are. Like, we are searching this out intently. And he said, uh, I was walking along, <laughs> and I saw your many shrines. But one of the altars you had, uh, this, it had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. I think that our culture and uh, many people are actually more hungry to know what they should believe and what they should value. Like, people are interested in spiritual things. We just don't quite know what, where to find it. And so maybe we feel like we have to pick and choose from things or just debate it all. What Paul's heart was is actually, I think that there's a, a God that you don't know. In fact, you've even already made an altar to him and you've been looking for him. And what I, I just want to try to offer this weekend is I think that that person is Jesus. That's who Paul thought it was. 
And he's gonna be different from every other kind of a religion or what you expect. And I hope to kind of display that. And so if we could just kind of have an open mind uh, and maybe invite, okay, maybe I, maybe I don't really know who Jesus is, um, that, that we would be able to do that this weekend. Sound good? You kind of have to be okay with it because you're here now. Um, all right. So uh, this is gonna be the path we kind of walk through today. We're gonna define religion and what actually we all have in common, everyone listening. And then we're gonna address kind of two, what I'll, I'll say are valid concerns about religion. They're the, they're the two concerns I hear most often when that question is asked or when someone's like, you know what's wrong with religion? You know what's wrong with Christianity? And then where I wanna land us and spend most of our time is the three ways that Jesus came to offer something different from religion. So we're gonna dive into that. Let's define what religion is. If you look at kind of all world religions, like what do they have in common? What makes up a religion? Here's just a little definition I came up with. These are, I think, the components of it. Religion is beliefs about God and the universe that shape how we live. That's what religion is, just beliefs about God and the universe that shape how we live. So beliefs are just the, the core convictions, the principles, the ideas, the things that we say, this, this is what's true. This is what's trustworthy. This is what I know. And then to base that um, in a way that you create your worldview. Like how do you view why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing and what, what makes sense of all this, what it means to be human, and uh, even who God is. So 76 plus 8% of the world says there is a God of some sorts. Um, 16% would say, not so sure. Even if you don't believe there's a God, you still have a belief about that. And so that, that's a little bit of this, is that, that these ideas and principles that shape our worldview, whether we believe there's a God or not, and they shape how we live. This is what begins to form our values, our habits, our practices, our rituals, our rhythms, even our relationships, like who we, we view as our tribe, right? And even what we, we spout as like the most important thing, what we share with other people, the, the thing we post, the, the, the mantras we keep, the things that inspire us. That, like this is the, the makings of religion. Beliefs about God and the universe that shape how we live. Now, this is what's interesting. Here's what we all have in common. Every person has beliefs about God and the universe that shape how we live, right? Okay, so even if you ascribe as non-religious, in, in some ways you still fall into this category because we are people who have to figure out what we believe and value. Everyone tries to figure out how to attach it. Even if you don't label yourself with a certain religion, um, you, you tr- we all try to find a way to make it sticky, right? Like whether that's with uh, uh, an actual bumper sticker or a flag or a sign or some kind of brand. Like we're trying to find our team, our tribe. Um, and I had a huge issue with this uh, with my oldest son, right? I posted this uh, on social media the other day. Uh, my son got some uh, hand-me-downs and um, it's Steelers gear. And he's just like, Dad, um, I love the Steelers. And I'm like, you don't know anything about the Steelers. And, uh, and I was like, you're gonna get in so much trouble because we live in Brown's territory. And he's like, oh, this will make people upset. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna cheer for them even harder. Um, and I'm like, oh no. So I'm like, please help. Um, I don't really care. I mean, I, I, I'm from West Virginia. We didn't even have sports. So um, yeah, trying to like get him to, uh, he, he's like associate himself 
probably not even with the Steelers, but the fact that he's going to upset everyone in the room. Uh, so yeah, it, it, we, we kind of naturally drift into like identifying ourselves in these camps under these teams. And um, even if you uh, view yourself as non-religious, because we can't disprove the existence of God. Just like I can't prove the existence of God. That's not, that's not what's going to happen today. I'm going to prove the existence of God. But you're also not going to disprove the existence of God. Charles Taylor was a Canadian uh, a philosopher, and he wrote a book called A Secular Age, noticing a lot of people moving away from religion. This is what he said about that. He said, secular belief isn't the absence of belief. It's adopting a new set of beliefs. Even secularism has beliefs about rationality and morality that are un." provable. You cannot prove to me why we should have human rights, but we all think there should be. You can't prove to me why it's important that we love each other, but even if you don't believe in a God, we want to be good people. We want to be loving people. Why? It's just not provable. And so that doesn't mean we're stuck. That doesn't mean this is a pointless conversation. What it means is that instead of saying someone's right and someone's wrong because it's provable, um, we have to compare. We kind of have to compare what maybe someone's saying or what, what a belief system says, and we need to compare it with other beliefs. And, and that's a lot of work. Um, actually, the late Tim Keller, he, um, he did a podcast on this called Question Christianity. You should check it out sometime. But his whole premise is that, um, you know, as we compare belief systems, you need to look for uh, two things. You need to look for what is most consistent so uh, a belief system that is consistent within itself. It doesn't have to like say one thing but then live a different way. And then one that's livable, one that's functional, like beliefs that actually play out in real life. And so uh, he, he kind of goes into all that. I encourage you to check it out. But that, like, that's what you have to do. You're gonna, we're going to have to believe something. It's going to shape how you live. Whether you believe there's a God or not, what your worldview ends up being this is a, a huge part of all of our lives because we are all trying to satisfy this question of what's true and what we believe. We're trying to uh, answer questions like meaning and identity and purpose and happiness. And we gotta answer really hard questions too, like suffering and justice and hope. Like what can provide the answers and clarity for that? So if every person has beliefs, What's the problem with religion? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, here's what I, as I interact with my friends who uh, don't identify with Christianity and have a lot of reservations about it, these are kind of the main things I usually hear. The first one I hear is that religion is harmful and dangerous. Religion is harmful and dangerous. And there is plenty of uh, history to back that up uh, in the sense that we have seen people in the name of religion um, do horrible things. We've seen abuse happen, uh, sexual abuse happen with women, children. Uh, we know that that's been covered up. We know that uh, there, there's been hiding of that, right? You can, you know, it, it, it's coming out a lot more. That, that people have actually protected their leaders instead of protecting the vulnerable. Um, we know that religion has motivated people to dehumanize other groups of people and to commit genocide. Uh, to, I mean, you look at examples like the Crusades, you look at colonization, you look at um, the Holocaust. In, in the name of beliefs, in the name of religion, people have been dehumanized. Um, they've been killed. 
because they don't ascribe to a certain uh, belief that terrorism, the radicalization of religion, and that's just not one particular religion or one particular group. It happens um, outside of our country. It happens inside of our country. It happens in Christianity. It happens in other religions. It happens everywhere. The radicalization of religion. We see that power and wealth structures are created to allow this kind of stuff to happen. We see that fear and um, suppression like, are what people end up experiencing sometimes in, in, sometimes in the name of religion. And uh, that's all very real. And another part of this, with that idea of those wealth and power structures, religion isn't just dangerous and harmful. The other thing I hear is that organized religion cannot be trusted. Organized religion is uh, <laughs> the church dropout's four-letter word. They're like, uh, organized religion. Uh, it's this uh, thing you don't want to be a part of. Because many people, maybe who were religious at one point, who went to a church, they saw their faith become institutionalized. They uh, felt neglected, used, abused, confused in their faith, like, like they left more hurt than when they came in. Um, you know, there, there's categories in in. Uh, religion today like celebrity pastors and narcissism and the politicalization of faith that the early followers of Jesus wouldn't even have had categories for. There's just straight up hypocrisy in religion. Preaching one thing and practicing something totally different. Lying, backstabbing, a lack of transparency, the suppression of truth, demanding blind loyalty. Don't ask questions, just follow. All of this like, uh, is, is kind of being summed up in a phrase we call now church hurt. I, I, I had this faith, I came in with it, and then this organized religion ruined it for me. They hurt me. They, they confused me in my faith, and uh, people leave the church for that reason, and they, they don't know where to go. In fact, like some of my friends who wouldn't walk away from Jesus, uh, they would say, I still love Jesus, but I'm done with the church. I'm done with organized religion. I can't trust it anymore. And so I, I think that those, again, I told you up front, I think those reasons can be valid. I'm not gonna try to justify uh, your experience or, or the horrible things that have been done in history to, um, in the name of religion. But I think that we, we do need to ask ourselves the question, is that who Jesus really is? is what people are doing in the name of religion or what an organization or a leader did to you, is that who Jesus is? Because as I dive into this conversation, where I want to take us next is that he, he is very different from what you would expect when you think about religion. The, the things that we're talking about you see here that maybe would be hurdles for you to get over, I want you to see today that Jesus isn't anything like that. In fact, actually, fun, uh, he pushed back against the religion of his day in some pretty hard ways, right? So Jesus shows up, he's uh, Jewish, and uh, he interacts with the leaders of his day, kind of uh, the, the organized religion of the day, right? And kind of what they're about. This is what Jesus says when he's speaking to them. In uh, Matthew 23, he says, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. They, they lead the religion and how it goes and, and they take God's word and, and navigate that. 
So practice and obey whatever they tell you. But don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Jesus had a huge problem with the religion, particularly the religious leaders of his day. And it wasn't because he thought that the words of God they were using were wrong. He thought they were using it against people. He said, no, you should listen to how they interpret the law, but don't live how they live. They are not living in alignment with God's heart and mind. And so he's like, I'm here to show you what that's all about. But don't be like them. Be real careful of being like them because it's unbearable religious demands and they're never going to free you. They're just gonna push religion on you. And if you ever uh, get stuck in those places, go read Matthew 23. He just like goes on a long rant against the religious leaders. They call it the seven woes of, of religious leaders. It's super fun. You'll enjoy it. Um, and then another place where Jesus is talking about what he's about and his teaching. He says, don't understand, misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to get rid of the law of Moses. I didn't come to like erase what we know to be true about God or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. I'm here to bring clarity. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. They're missing it, guys. Like this religion that everyone thinks they have pat down, like Jesus is saying, you, are, you have wandered so far from the heart of God. And I'm here to bring clarity about that, but unless you're different than these religious leaders, not just better as in more religious people, unless you, you actually figure out what God's inviting you into, you're gonna miss it. You're not gonna find the kingdom of God. You're not gonna find what I'm offering you. And so Jesus pushed back hard against the religion of his day. And so if you've ever wondered, um, is Jesus super religious? He seemed to at least have some concerns. It's not who Jesus is. He's not creating the next religion per se. He saw how people were using religion to harm and oppress others. And he pushed back against it. And it caused the religious leaders to hate him, uh, want to get rid of him, to, to, to work for his execution. And uh, the religiously prominent uh, saw him as, as someone to get out of the way. I think it's important that we hear Jesus correctly. Because, because the big problem is when we start to hear Jesus as religion. And we start to attach all these things to him because of my pastor was this way, because this church was that way, because of all these things that happened in history, because of that faith church, because religion does this, because that person has that sign in their yard, because that person protested this. We start to attach all these things to Jesus and Jesus might be saying, actually, I'm none of that. And so again, back to this idea of the unknown God, would you let me introduce you to some of the core things that I believe are important to revealing how Jesus is different from religion? I think there's three things we have to uh, see that are important to contrast and say like, okay, Jesus is doing something totally different than what religion typically does. And so I'm gonna walk you through these three things. Know that I have a couple uh, parts of the Bible to kind of like show um, how Jesus spoke about this or how people understood what he was saying. And so if that overwhelms you, just uh, ignore it or save the references and, and check it out more later. But how is Jesus different from religion? Here's the first way I think he's different. So Jesus did not come to take away your life. He came to give you true life. 
He didn't come to take away your life, okay? This was like my number one concern uh, when, when I was navigating uh, Jesus. So I, I grew up very saturated in, in Christianity and different faith traditions of Christianity. I grew up uh, going to private school my whole life and going to church my whole life. And so for uh, kind of like my early years, I grew up going to a very, uh, a Methodist church. Um, I, I went to a Catholic school uh, so very formal, very traditional. And then kind of uh, older in my childhood, I went to uh, a Nazarene church and I went to a fundamentalist Baptist school. And so uh, I was super delightful by the time I got through uh, my childhood years. Like, it was great. Um, very confused. But one thing I knew that everyone had in common and all the religion I was experiencing is that it wasn't going to be fun. <laughs> Being a part of religion means giving up fun. And you want to know what my fun was? I was a rock drummer, and I was so good. Um, I, I like got this drum set in ninth grade, and what I wanted to spend my life doing was playing rock and metal music. I would listen to Metallica in my room, and I would like, you know, I got the, if you're a drummer, you got this double kick pedal, so I could just be loud and, and be have the speed. Um, and I remember being a part of some churches. Uh, that drums were viewed as, like, demonic. It was like, no, you cannot, like, let drums in the church. And I was like, oh, I didn't know, like, this thing that I was doing was wicked by drumming. I can't believe I'm even this close to a drum set right now. Like, oh, I could, like, fall over in a second. Um, or even, like, my neighbor, um, you know, when, when we met her, we were trying to get to know her, and we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll be having some, like, bonfires. We'd love for you to come over. And she's like, well, I would come over if you'd let me bring wine, but I know you're a Christian, so, you, you know, I certainly couldn't do that. I'm like, well, I don't know if we'd have a problem with that. So uh, there's this, this perception that, hey, by being religious means you've got to give up all your fun. Like, that's what Jesus' goal is. He's here to be like, I'm the party killer, and I'm here to tell you all the things you can't do and all the rules. Um, and that was at least maybe the perception I've had, and I think that some people think about being religious, but what uh, Jesus does is uh, he actually shows that he's not here to kill the party. <laughs> Jesus is here to give you life. Like what Jesus comes to offer, people saw as good. They're like, whoa, Jesus, I've never heard anyone offer something like this. Can you actually deliver on it? The kinds of things Jesus would say was like this. He would, he would say, um, my purpose is to give my followers a rich and satisfying life. I want, if you follow me, if you're, he, he uses the word my sheep, then you're going to see how good it is because I'm, I'm gonna give you the real life. I'm gonna lay my life down so that you can experience life. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like what I come to offer you is direction and clarity and goodness. And even uh, as you read, th these are all from uh, the book of John. So even as you just read this book and you see how Jesus talks about the life he wants to get, you get to the end of the book and almost to clarify, like if, if you think the Bible's all about rules and all the fun that gets killed uh, by Jesus, the end of the book says that uh, by believing in Jesus, you will have life by the power of his name. It's like, just in case you missed it, just in case you got to the end of the book and you, you're like, oh, that seems like a lot of stuff I gotta do. It's like, don't miss it. Because all this has been written down so that if you would believe who Jesus is, you would find life. And it would be good. It would be so good. And that, that's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to like find the best life we can. And Jesus is saying, I, I want to offer that to you, but it, if it's always on your terms and not mine, you're, you're going to miss the life I want to give you. And it may not look the way you expect. But Jesus is very clear. 
the thing I came to offer you is life. Not just physical life, abundant, full life. The, his early followers picked up on this. They would say, the old person is gone, the new person is here. My, my new life has arrived. And it's good. They didn't see themselves as having all the fun taken away, the life being taken away from them. And, and that's been my experience. Like, being a pastor is hard, but following Jesus is good. <laughs> following Jesus is so good. So that's the first thing. The second thing I wrote down was this. Uh, Jesus wants an all-of-life relationship, not just your religion. So uh, this one may feel like a little bit more than what you bargained for with Jesus, but uh, often when we think of religion, we think like, okay, maybe I start going to church on Sunday, right? Maybe, is that like the end goal of what God wants? It's like you came this week or you're watching online, you're like, oh, I gotta get to church next week. That's what God really wants from me. He wants me to be there on Sunday. He wants me to do, uh, he wants me to become more spiritual. So I gotta like know a Bible verse. I gotta pray more. We, we start to leave things kind of in this category of religion or the spiritual and say that that part of my life, God just wants me to have more of it. He wants me to be more spiritual. He wants me to be more religious. And that looks like coming to church or having an inspirational quote on my mirror or having, a, having meditation in the morning or something like that. I think that while those things can do something in us, that's certainly not like what Jesus came to offer and a lot of people are interested in spiritual things. We're trying to find things that can maybe like help or answer questions or like, like tap into the spiritual part of our life. Um, and some of that uh, is really interesting. <laughs> like, but Jesus didn't come to just offer an inspirational add-on. He didn't just come to like be the energy you've been missing. In fact, he's probably asking way more of you than you initially expect he he's asking for all of your life he doesn't just view the the religious part or the spiritual part of your life he, he like wants all of it he cares about your relationships he cares about your job and your money he cares about your friends he cares about your kids he cares about your pain he cares about your sadness he cares about your dreams he cares about what you hope would happen in life see i think what's what's interesting is that when we only leave religion in a small category of our life, we kind of put God in a box. Um, imagine it this way, right? So I got three kids, um, and let's imagine my oldest son. Uh, the only part of his life I care about is what happens in his room, okay? So, um, you know, what, if he keeps his room clean, um, if, if he picks up the books, he uh, snores really loud at night, uh, just so I can get that out there, uh, and be like, you snore bad, like, we gotta fix this snoring problem, and like, all, the only part of his life I care about is just what happens in his room. There's so much more to my son's life. Like, he goes to school, he plays baseball, you know, he rides his bike, he has friends. Um, as a father, I care about every part of his life. That's why I ask him how his day at school was. That's why I assistant coach the baseball team. That's why we like ride bikes together. That's why I play video games with him and read Dogman books, even though uh, it's imposed on me and I wouldn't naturally read Dogman, but he's like, Dad, you have to read book number two. It's so funny. I'm like, I totally will do that, even though I don't want to. 
because I care about every part of my son's life. Not because I want to control it, but because I love him. When you put God in a box and you think all he wants from you is your religion, you're not, you're not missing out on just how he wants to control all your life. That's not what he wants to do. You're missing out on how his love and his goodness wants to spill over into parts of your life you never even knew were possible. God is a good father. And when Jesus says things like this, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind. He wants the whole person, not just the religious part. When he makes big claims like, if any of you want to be my follower, you have to give up your own way. You have to lay down your life and take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says some pretty radical claims where he's not just saying, I just want you to be a little bit more religious, a little bit more spiritual. He's saying, I care about everything. Because I'm like the father who loves everything that is involved in his son's life. The conflicts he has with his siblings, the dreams that get crushed, the life phases we have to go through when we move. I care about all of it. And Jesus is saying, that's what's different about me from religion. I don't just want a piece of your life. I want all of it. It's because I love you. If you think that Jesus wants anything less than all of your life, you've greatly misunderstood what he claimed to be. He claimed to be God, and he claimed it so much that people put him to death, although he says, I give my life up, no one can take it from me. People knew what he was claiming. People said that he did things like heal the sick, cast out demons. People claimed that he rose from the dead, and I believe all those things. Jesus didn't claim to be just another guy. He claimed to have divine authority over all of heaven and over earth and our entire lives. And so it's absolutely appropriate that we would give him every part of our life because he's worthy of it. Now that feels super religious, but you gotta play it out in the context of a loving relationship, all of life. The last thing Jesus offers that is different from religion is this. He came to forgive and accept us before we became people of love. Jesus comes to forgive and accept us before we become people of love. This is actually the one that my friends who are not so sure about Jesus, um, this is the one they get hung up on. Mostly because, you know, after I have many conversations and we kind of wear it out to death, kind of where they end up landing is, well, can't I just be a good person without following Jesus? You know, if, if everything I'm offering on the table, like I just can't, I can't label myself as that, I can't buy into all that, they kind of land, I still want to be a good person. I don't, I don't like want to wreck other people's lives. I want to do the best I can. Isn't that enough? Isn't that what Jesus would really want anyway? Is that what Jesus wants? Did Jesus come to help make us better people, to make us good people? No. Jesus came to rescue. Jesus came to forgive people who are broken. Jesus came to accept people who couldn't make themselves acceptable. Jesus came to do all that on the basis of what he has done, not on the basis of what we could do. And so no. Uh, you can totally be 
a good person uh, without following Jesus. In fact, there's probably a lot of people who don't follow Jesus who live better lives than some Christians do. That's not why Jesus came. You know, the standard for God's holiness, um, the idea that his definition of good and perfect, who Jesus was, is that 100% of the time, for 100% of your life, you do what is best for yourself, for others, and for God. That you make decisions, you live in motivations and attitudes that allow the flourishing, best flourishing of your own life, the flourishing of others, and that align with God's heart and mind and his design and desires. And none of us do that. You know, as we've been driving to Columbus, um, I took my kids to uh, a soccer game this week. And so uh, they don't know much about Columbus. I'm trying to show them the fun stuff. And so uh, we go down there and we, we go to this Columbus crew game and we go into the stadium. And my five-year-old is just like, wow, I have never been in a building this big. And I'm like, it's so fun. And he's like, dad, is this where we're going to live? <laughs> and I'm like, nobody. <laughs> like, uh, we are not going to live in the Columbus Crew Stadium. And we went and looked at the house the other day, right? And we're like, you know, this is where we're going to live. And you know what? There's a big difference between a house and a stadium. Uh, there's a big difference between a house and a skyscraper, right? Uh, we know that. Uh, we, like, compared to us, we're like, holy cow, like, that skyscraper is huge. That building is huge. And we could, we could say the house is small. And so you can compare your life. You, like, you may genuinely be the skyscraper, like, you might be agnostic, non-religious, atheist, and your life may be so much better than, than most of us Christians, us followers of Jesus. But when God looks at our lives, um, it's a little bit like saying, which is further from the sun, the skyscraper or the house? Both are pretty far away from the sun. <laughs> the skyscraper doesn't have that much up on the house. When we compare next to each other, Sure, people can live better lives. They don't have to follow Jesus. But that's not what Jesus came to do. Je Jesus came to offer you something different. Most religions do that. Most religions say, I'm, we're gonna tell you how to be a good person. We're gonna give you rules for it. We're gonna give things you can do. And if you're a good enough person, you can be forgiven and accepted. That's what normal religious thinking says, is that I, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be a loving person. I'm gonna do whatever that is defined as in my religion. And what I hope that is if I do that enough, I can be forgiven. I can be accepted. I can make it in. And Jesus flips it completely on its head, and it's totally backwards. And he says, there's actually nothing you could do that would make you good enough, so I'm going to forgive you on the basis of what I have done, and I'm gonna accept you as you are. And that's gonna change your life so radically, you're actually gonna become more of a person of love over time, but it's gonna be because of what I've done in you, not because of what you're doing to work toward that. Does that make sense? Do you understand like, at least why it's different? Jesus is offering something totally different than what religious thinking tries to offer us. It's a misunderstanding of grace when we think that the things we can do can actually bring us closer to God because God has pursued you already. He's pursued you regardless. Paul, when he was talking to the people in Athens, you know, in the unknown God, he lived a very religious life. He actually wrote about it a little bit. And when he looked at his religious life, he said this. He said, as a Christ follower, as a Christian, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. 
We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own effort, I have even more. He's, he's saying like the whole premise of being a follower of Jesus is that you're, like it's not enough. But Paul says, if there is something that could have been enough, I would have hit that mark. And he goes on to list a bunch of things about his religious background and, and how he disciplined himself. He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. His ethnicity, his upbringing, his family lineage. He was like, I came from the right you know, cloth. I was cut from the right cloth. Uh, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. We saw that the, these were the, the highest of high leaders, teachers. They knew it all. They had education, training. He, he disciplined himself in one of the highest schools of training. He said, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. People who were against us, I went after them and I took them out. And I was, uh, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I did it better than anyone else. Why did Paul walk away from his religion? He says this. I once thought these things were valuable. They were what made him. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. What Paul found was something different than religion. He already had religion. And his religion was not enough. And what Jesus offered was so compelling and so different that he gave his life to something new. <laughs> and you might view that as a new religion, but he viewed that as a person. He believed in Jesus, and he gave his life to him. Because Jesus came to do reconciling and transforming work in our lives. It's not about what we do. It's about what he did. Jesus wants to get you to this point where you can say it's not about what I have done, it's about what Christ has done. And that applies to everyone in this room and to everyone online who is very religious. Your religion is not enough. How well you do at the Christian life or being a Christian or being spiritual is not enough. And it also applies for everyone in this room who's non-religious. It, it applies to those in this room who, who feel Maybe they've failed too much in life. You can't be good enough and you can't fail enough to miss out on what Christ has done for you. I am not moving to Columbus to keep championing a religion. <laughs> I'm not risking my family on that. It's not worth it. But I will follow Jesus wherever he takes me. That's not a pastor thing. That's a Christ follower thing. Laying down your life and saying, God, you are good. You want what's best for me. You want to rescue me. You want all of my life because you love me the way a father does. You want me to lay down my pride. You want me to lay down my shame. And you just want me to find you. Jesus wants you to get to this point. And so if you've made Jesus about religion, I think we've missed it a little bit. Now, of course, <laughs> following Jesus means you have beliefs about God and the universe that shape your life, no doubt. <laughs> but we all do. If you make him about this religion where you have to earn it, 
where he just wants you to live in this box. You put God in a box and just come on Sunday where he's taking away your life instead of giving it to you. You are missing what Jesus came to offer you. If you're living in the experience of church hurt or in the history of what people have done in the name of religion, you're missing Jesus because he pushed back against all of that. Jesus wants you to believe this, this unknown God, right, that you've been looking for. And you, you haven't wanted to put a label onto it or you've, you've been afraid to lean in and be all in with him because you're afraid of what it's gonna do to your life. You wanna know what Paul said to the men of Athens as he kept talking to them? He said, this God that you think is unknown, he says, is not that far off from you. This God is not that far off from you. He is not hard to find. He created you, he loves you, he is good, he wants to intervene in your life, he wants you to hear him, he wants you to experience life, he wants to be found, he doesn't want to be the unknown God. And so like if you're there, you're longing for something, you're, you're looking for something like this, but it couldn't be religion, might it be Jesus? He's totally worth it. Religion can't save us, but Jesus can. I'm going to invite the band out and uh, just give us a little bit of space to pray through this. So if you wouldn't mind just, just praying with me. Father, um, we first just want to come and ask that we could see you for who you really are. Because it's so easy, God, whether you're a pastor or a churchgoer or someone who's hurt by the church or doesn't buy into any of this, God, to just miss who you are. You do not change based upon what we think or what people do. And so I just pray that you would open up our eyes to see who you really are. That's what I want most of all, God, is that for those who are stuck with that barrier, they're afraid to lean into you because they're afraid of what it might mean and what am I do for the life, God? I pray that they would see that you want to give them life. You want to rescue them and you want to be a part of their life so much. Every part of it. Help us to hear that as good. Help us not to be afraid to walk with you or to trust you or to give our lives to you. I pray that you would do that even now, God, that you would draw people to yourself, that they would see that you are not hard to find. I pray all this in Jesus' name.